Welcome back to Shrinking Stigma. If you haven't tuned into our other podcasts, our premise is to demystify some of the misconceptions surrounding the profession of psychiatry for a more general audience. My name is Dr. Jonathan Dornian, and I'm here with Dr. Sheila Charia. Great to be here again, Dr. Dornian. So we are both psychiatric residents at the University of Calgary. This project has been supervised and the episode proofed for content by a staff psychiatrist, Dr. Lisa Harper. All funding for the project has been graciously provided with support from the Alberta Medical Association, Canadian Medical Association, as well as MD Financial. Download links to each of the episodes are available by searching for Shrinking Stigma on soundcloud.com, as well as available via subscription on a podcasting platform of your choice. The topic of today's episode is something with a lot of stigma surrounding it. Electroconvulsive therapy, otherwise known as ECT. In other words, using electricity to induce a short, controlled seizure with the help of anesthesiologists, muscle relaxants, sedation, and this treatment is used to treat a number of psychiatric conditions. If you're starting to think things such as, do psychiatrists still do that, and wasn't that outlawed, or even, does that even work? The short answers are yes, no, it hasn't been outlawed, and yes, it it does work. I'm here to explain and convince you that ECT is a relatively safe and effective procedure, that it's widely used, and that it's a far cry from its public perception as a tool to torture the mentally ill when psychiatrists don't know how else to treat them. If you already have a more positive perspective than that, we're off to a good start. Thank you so much, Dr. Dornian, for taking this topic on. There is such a misconception out there about ECT. I think it's very important for us to educate the public, so I look forward to what you have to say here today. I'm hoping that listeners can take a few things away from this episode. One, I want them to have a basic knowledge of what ECT involves, recognizing the modern advances in the procedure that make it safe and well tolerated, as well as recognize situations in which ECT may be used. Lastly, I really hope to decrease some of the stigma surrounding the procedure, as well as stigma towards those who have underwent it. To start, I wanted to share a story about a patient that I treated in my first year of residency. Names and details have been purposefully changed for confidentiality purposes. The patient was an elderly woman brought to the hospital by her family for concerns that she was getting progressively more paranoid. She had concerns that her food was being poisoned. About a year earlier, her husband had unfortunately passed away and she became quite depressed. She was undergoing treatment in a psychiatric day program at that point in time, which involves having a regular psychiatrist and attending group therapy on a daily basis. Her mood was initially low, but she didn't appear paranoid at this time. These paranoid beliefs actually started a few months prior to her admission to hospital, and they were noticed by her family when they had difficulty getting her to leave her house to visit them. When they did visit her, it appeared that she had lost over 30 pounds. When I met the patient, she weighed somewhere in the range of 80 to 90 pounds. 
Before this, she didn't even have a history of depression or a psychotic illness. This was something entirely new. That sounds like such a serious situation, but not entirely uncommon in psychiatry, unfortunately. We often see patients who have difficulty taking care of themselves because of depression or psychotic illness. What happened next? On unit, she continued not to eat. She would tell me that she didn't deserve to eat. She would request to be isolated from other patients because she thought that something might happen to him or happen to them that was quite bad, and she thought it would be her fault. This was quite odd because she actually had no ill will to any of the other patients. We would try to encourage her to leave the unit with visiting family members, but she would refuse. She thought that the nurses would lock her off the unit if she left and that she wouldn't be able to get back in. Because she was frail and not eating, we even had to monitor her blood work on a daily basis to make sure that she wasn't developing a severe nutritional deficiency. Did you have a working diagnosis? Yes. It seemed like she had what we call a depression with psychotic features. Essentially, that's a depressive episode that is so severe that someone can lose touch with reality, potentially having auditory hallucinations or fixed false beliefs called delusions that usually pertain to their own sadness, guilt, or negative self-image. We tried several medications, but we weren't seeing any improvement. Given the patient's acute deterioration in mental health and risk of physical deterioration because she wasn't eating, it was a medical emergency. We thought that pursuing electroconvulsive therapy could help treat the patient and improve her symptoms more rapidly. A discussion was had with her family, whom were quite hesitant about the procedure. They knew that their mother would go along with it if they recommended it, but felt that it was extreme and worried that it would turn her into a zombie. After a lengthy discussion about the risks of the procedure, the patient began a course of ECT. After her first session, a family member visited the unit around lunch and noticed the patient eating on her own accord. This was something that they hadn't seen in months. The visiting family member actually started crying and later told the treatment team that they wished we had tried ECT earlier. That sounds like a really powerful experience. I too met a patient on one of our units who benefited from ECT. Her story was quite different, but equally devastating. She was a woman who had struggled with depression for most of her life. Um, She was single, she had no children, and she lived with her parents. And then in her early 60s, um, her mother died, uh, which was very hard for her, and her father died two weeks later. So she went from being someone who was doing okay in community and living with her parents to being quite alone. Um, Unfortunately, just a couple weeks after both of her parents died, she found out that she had stage 4 cancer and had to undergo surgical as well as radiological and chemotherapy to help with this cancer. 
this was all so devastating for her that her traditional uh, medications that were helping to treat her depression no longer worked. And she got to a stage where she only could think about ending her life. She stopped eating. She stopped functioning. Um, and the only thing we could see to do for her was ECT. It was the last, it was the last therapy we had to help this woman and her family really, she did have, well, she didn't have any children of her own or a spouse. She did have brothers and sisters who were just so distraught seeing her this way. Um, we were able to give her ECT and within six sessions, she started to eat again. Um, she started to get back into a regular sleeping pattern. And although her mood took some time to improve, we were able to get her to a place where she was tending to her basic necessities, which was so important within the context of not only her day-to-day functioning, but her ability to start to fight uh, her cancer diagnosis. Wow. That sounds like a really powerful experience as well. It was, and it was early on in my training, so it's something that's going to stick with me for life. Now, Dr. Dornian, do you think you can explain to the public what ECT actually is? Well, if we look at the the definition from our profession's most comprehensive textbook, electroconvulsive therapy is a standard psychiatric treatment in which electricity is delivered through the scalp to induce a therapeutic seizure. It is one of the oldest biologic treatments for many psychiatric conditions, including depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and catatonia. It is estimated that over 1 million patients receive ECT worldwide per year. The induction of seizures is highly monitored, involving optimizing using a minimum required stimulus of energy to avoid using more energy than necessary. We also carefully place electrical probes to minimize side effects and collaborate with our anesthesiology colleagues for sedation and muscle relaxation so that our patients remain comfortable. The exact mechanism of how it works isn't known, but hypotheses include affecting parts of the brain related to regulating hormones, changing the balance of neurotransmitters in our brains, as well as altering neuroplasticity, which is the ability for our brain to form and alter neural connections. So when we articulate it like that, it doesn't sound so bad. What do you think is with all the negative perception surrounding ECT? Well, like many aspects of medicine, ECT does have a dark history. In the early 1900s, there existed a theory that what is now known as schizophrenia and epilepsy existed on opposite ends of a clinical spectrum. This was based on observations that patients with severe epilepsy had lower rates of psychosis, or losing touch with reality, than the general population. It was then thought that the induction of seizures could cause these symptoms to remit. The idea that schizophrenia and epilepsy are opposing disorders is now known to be false, but it was this idea that led to the first formal hypotheses of treating psychiatric illness with seizure. In the 1930s, a neuropsychiatrist named Ladislas Medunia, and I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, induced a seizure using an injection of a plant compound called camphor in a catatonic or unresponsive schizophrenic who had barely spoken a word in a number of years. 
Following the seizure, the patient became alert and more interactive than any had seen him previously. A few days later, he relapsed back into catatonia, but was eventually given a number of seizures in several day intervals, after which he became alert and responsive for longer periods of time, eventually regaining function and becoming able to work. However, though the treatment was effective in this case, there were some major issues. Seizures were uncontrolled, and with the chemical used, patients remained conscious prior to their convulsions. The physiologic effects prior to seizing were reported to be terrifying, and there could be a delay of up to 45 minutes between injection of this plant compound and seizure. Furthermore, convulsions were uncontrolled, putting patients at risk for broken bones. Without the use of an anesthesiologist and breathing support during the procedure, patients could suffer from a lack of oxygen during the procedure and have brain damage. These issues were only further compounded by our unfortunate usage of asylums in the past, where people were often treated without consent. Popular media portrayal of ECT has been less than kind as well, with many people's opinions on the procedure influenced by its portrayal in movies such as One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. For our younger listeners, that's a film from the 1970s starring Jack Nicholson playing a petty criminal who fakes mental illness to be placed in an asylum rather than a prison, who eventually receives ECT without indication against his will. That's really unfortunate, and I can understand why people would have a negative perception of ECT. So if someone gets the treatment now, what is it like? It would be really quite different. Starting in the 1950s, we began using paralytic agents so that patients don't actually convulse when their brain experiences a seizure. This took away the risk of broken bones and need to hold people down while they were having convulsions. We use sedation and general anesthesia so that patients are comfortable prior to the procedure and have no memory of receiving the electrical stimulus nor any pain from the shock. Patients are given oxygen and helped to breathe throughout the procedure, so there's no risk of decreased oxygen to the brain. And in addition to the psychiatrist involved, there's an anesthesiologist and several nurses in the room who are doing everything they can to keep the patient comfortable and safe. The whole procedure is over within minutes, and patients will be able to resume their normal activities a few hours after the treatment. ECT is generally administered two to three times a week for up to four weeks. There's an excellent TED Talk recollecting personal experience with ECT by a surgeon named Sherwin Newland who credits ECT for saving his life and career. You can check out the link in the references section of our podcast description if you're interested. Well, that certainly sounds much better than the way we were doing things in the past, but it's still pretty serious. So is ECT safe? So there's no medications or procedures that are 100% risk-free, but ECT has been empirically demonstrated to be one of the safest procedures performed under general anesthesia. Rates of serious side effects like death are estimated to be about one per 10,000 courses of ECT. There has been no evidence demonstrating any sort of brain damage from the procedure. 
you do have to be more careful in using ECT in some more medically sick populations if somebody has significant problems with their heart, lung, or brain. But overall, it's a safe and well-tolerated procedure for the vast proportion of the population. The most common side effect that we see is a bit of headache following the procedure, as well as a foggy memory while undergoing the course of ECT. So it affects people's memory. Didn't you say that it doesn't cause brain damage? I did. During a course of ECT, a patient will have trouble forming new memories and sometimes difficulty accessing old ones. However, once the course is finished, numerous studies have shown that patients regain their full cognitive abilities in a matter of weeks to months. In some cases, they might perform better cognitively if their psychiatric disorder has been effectively treated. Memory disturbances and what might have happened during the period of weeks that they received ECT will remain foggy, but memories formed before as well as after the course of treatment tend to remain unaffected. So what disorders are being treated by ECT? There's a wide variety of psychiatric conditions that ECT has been trialed and shown to be effective in, but it's most commonly used and most effective with severe treatment refractory depressive episodes. It can also be used for catatonia, mania, or psychotic disorders. Sometimes there's certain features that can be seen in a depressive episode that will make us want to try ECT sooner rather than later. Like if a patient is having a depressive episode with psychotic features, like the previous story about our patients. Other situations where we might go to ECT earlier is for patients who are at risk for significant medical deterioration without a quick response to treatment, or catatonia, where a patient has abnormal and often non-responsive or purposeless behavior secondary to a psychiatric condition such as depression or schizophrenia. So how effective is ECT in treating depression? Well. That's where our most significant evidence has been, with a response rate of up to 70 or 80% overall, and some studies even cite up to 90%. In comparison to antidepressant medications, they're thought to have a response rate of about 40 to 50%. Even in patients who have previously been diagnosed with treatment-resistant depression, where they haven't seen improvement with medications, about half of these patients will see a significant improvement in their symptoms with ECT. Empirically, that makes ECT the most effective treatment for major depression currently available. Personally, I have a number of psychiatric colleagues who've said that if they were in a severe depression, they'd like to be treated with ECT sooner rather than later. I feel the same way. However, there is the caveat that patients can relapse following treatment. To mitigate this, we will often start patients on an antidepressant for them to continue after the course of ECT is finished. In more rare cases, some people can undergo maintenance ECT in which they continue to receive treatments at a decreased frequency. For example, once a month compared with three times a week when they're undergoing active treatment. 
Well, Dr. Dornian, if you're ever hospitalized for depression, I'm going to provide a copy of this recording to your psychiatrist so they know your wishes. Do you have any final thoughts or conclusions that you would like people to remember? Absolutely. ECG is an incredibly effective treatment for severe depressive episodes that we can administer humanely with minimal side effects. It is used in a wide variety of psychiatric conditions, including depression, mania, and psychosis, but it has the most significant evidence with depression. And I want people to be able to acknowledge that ECT is a highly stigmatized treatment with lots of fear surrounding it. And this relates to its troubled history and media portrayal that isn't an accurate representation of what the procedure is currently like. I hope that with this episode, we've been able to decrease some of that stigma towards the procedure and towards patients receiving the treatment. At the end of the day, ECT is just another tool that we use in psychiatry, like medications or psychotherapy, to help get patients back to their full functioning. Because ultimately, that is what we care about most and why we're in the field of psychiatry in the first place. So that's going to conclude our topic for today. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast by searching for Shrinking Stigma on your favorite podcasting platforms. And references used for this article are available on our SoundCloud page, which you can reach by searching Shrinking Stigma on soundcloud.com. Thank you.